0: second scripture reading today comes from 2nd Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 1 through 15. If you'd like to turn there, I'll be reading that in a few minutes, but uh, you can find it on page 1204 of your Pew Bible. And while you're turning there, I'll go ahead and start my introduction. I'm wondering if you have ever come across a Bible passage that just blew your mind. A uh, couple of the verses in this passage did that for me a couple of weeks ago. I was reading, I just started the short little book, Developing a Healthy Prayer Life, uh, by Joel and James Beakey. And uh, I didn't even get through the second paragraph uh, before they referenced this passage. Um, but let me read this, these short two paragraphs for you. Prayer is the act of forging a connection between two specific points our human needs, and the resources of God offered to us in Christ. You can start at either point and reach to the other in prayer. True Christians have discovered that God in Christ offers them grace, mercy, pardon, peace, life, and love. This is revealed in the gospel or good news of Jesus Christ. And they cite Second Peter 1, 2-4. So I opened my Bible to 2 Peter 1 and read these verses. May the grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. My mind was just blown thinking about all these promises, the gifts, the blessings, the provisions, the grace that God promises just in these Three short verses. If I were a Puritan pastor, I could write sermon after sermon and book after book on that, but Amen. lucky for you, I'm not. <laughs> and so I just kept coming back day after day and decided, all right, this is what I'm going to attempt to, to preach on for you all today. So let's read this passage in its, its bigger context, verses 1 through 15. Uh, so that you have a, a better understanding of what Peter is, is trying to do here in this passage. Uh, so we're reading 2 Peter 1, chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, page 1204. Simeon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and a Savior Jesus Christ, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, And godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort So that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, it is always humbling to come before your presence and to attempt to bring clarity to a word that is already so clear. And so, God, we pray that you might speak through me today. More importantly, that you, through your Holy Spirit's work and grace and mercy, might speak through your word, that we might be built up in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. In my last sermon that I preached to you all a few weeks ago, I talked about the five W's—who, what, where, when, why. Some include how—of Bible reading, and I encourage you to to use that in your own time of devotions. Uh, Maybe you have. Uh, If you haven't, that's all right. I'm not going to ask. Certainly not going to quiz you on it, but for the sake of repetition and because this is a a brand new letter—well, not brand new, but— new letter as far as what we're doing this morning, let me work through those five W's just real quickly. So who? Who is writing this? In verse 1 we see Peter identify himself as Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now there are some out there who contest that Peter was the author, but I think if you read through this letter, you'll easily see that Peter was, in fact, the author. We see that Simon Peter, the brother of Andrew, Peter the fisherman, Peter the apostle, Peter who walked on water, says he is the author of this book. We see further proof that Peter is the author of this letter when we think about how Jesus told Peter in John 21— 18 and 19, when you are old, Peter, you will stretch your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. This conversation that Jesus had with Peter, I think is what Peter's referencing in verse 14 of our scripture today. Peter said, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. If that wasn't proof enough that Peter is the author of this passage, Peter goes on to reference the transfiguration. Only two verses later, in 2 Peter 1, 16 through 19, Peter was talking about how he was an eyewitness. Since we were with him on the holy mountain when it was declared by God that Jesus was my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So Peter is attesting in this letter that he was on the holy mountain at the transfiguration. And if that still wasn't enough for you to prove that Peter was the author, Peter says in Second Peter 3.1, this is now the second letter. That I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them I am stirring up your sincere mind a way of sincere mind by way of reminder. So Peter has written the first letter, first Peter, he's now telling them he's writing a second letter. So I think it's fairly clear, not fairly very clear, that the who is Peter. So who, what, the what of this passage? Uh, can be answered the occasion. What was the occasion for Peter to write this? Well, Peter saw that his time was drawing near, that he was not going to live much longer. He wanted—no, he needed—to remind the people of God that they were facing many dangers, false teaching, false teachers living among them. He wanted to remind them of God's grace. The grace that enables them and us to partake in the divine nature, verses 1 through 4. And Peter wanted to remind them of God's grace that encourages them and us to live godly and holy lives, verses 5 through 15. So the what is Peter wanting to give his his people, the church, a reminder. So who, what, where... Where did Peter write this? Where was Peter sending this letter? Well, we don't exactly know the geographical place, but if you remember how I just referenced 2 Peter 3.1 a minute or so ago, he said that this is the second letter that he's written to them. Well, if this is the second letter that he's written to them, maybe we might get a context for where he wrote the first letter. And so if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, he makes it very clear to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Oddly enough, those areas that Peter was writing to are the exact areas that Paul was not able to get into in the last sermon that I preached to you all a couple of weeks ago. But Peter's le- Paul wasn't allowed in by the Holy Spirit, by the Spirit of Jesus, but Peter's letter penetrated the area. What a wonderful reminder that God, while he may close the door of ministry for one person, he might open the ministry, the door of ministry for another person. And so just because you may not be able to share the gospel with a, a spouse or a neighbor or a child or a friend, that doesn't mean that God isn't already at work opening the door for someone else to. So where is Peter writing? He is writing to the churches in Northwest Asia Minor, or what we know as Turkey. So who, what, where, when? If Peter was truly coming to the end of his life, then scholars say that this was probably written somewhere 63, 65 A.D., for God's purposes, Peter's reminder in Second Peter came just in time to God's people. And I hope and trust that the reminders from today's sermon will be used by God just at the right time in your life as well. And so who, what, where, when, and now why? Why is Peter writing this letter? And, and the why is what we'll focus on in the remainder of this message, as Douglas Moo pointed out, Peter's main reason for writing this letter is the appearance of false teachers in the community and his condemnation of the false teaching. So this false teaching has crept into their lives, into their hearts, into their minds. And he says so in verses 13 and 15. I think it right. He wants to remind his his readers to stay strong. He says in verses 13 and 15, I think it writes, as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, I will make every effort so that after my departure you may be able at any time to recall these things. So Peter wants to stir them up, to remind them, So that they would recall these things. God's purpose, God's why, Peter's why for this letter is to combat false teaching so that they would know, that they would remember to share in God's divine nature and to share in his divine character. And so today I hope to stir us up and to look at the reminders that Peter gives us of God's grace resulting in our partaking of God's divine nature, verses 1 through 4. And secondly, to stir us up to see how God is fueling and how God's grace is fueling us to live lives of godly character, verses 5 through 15. So God's why is that we know and share in his godly nature and his godly character. So first, let's stir each other up. Let's see the reminder of God's grace and power for us to share in his divine nature. At the start of his letter, if you look at verse 2, Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In math terms, he wants it multiplied. He doesn't want God's grace and peace to be subtracted. That would Defeat the purpose of him giving this blessing He doesn't want god's grace and peace to be divided among them that some get it and some don't Because that would not make sense as to why he's writing to all these letters to these churches And in math terms, he doesn't want just god's grace to be added to them Because that wouldn't be enough one plus one is two two plus two is four 4 plus 4 is 8. 8 plus 8 is 16. Addition, the growth is slow. No, Peter wants God's grace and his peace to be multiplied in their lives. 2 times 2 is 4. 4 times 4 is 16. 16 times 16 is 256. 256 times 256 is, I have no idea. 63,000-something from what I recall from using my calculator yesterday. He wants God's grace and peace to be multiplied in their lives. So how does grace and peace get multiplied? Well, Peter says in verse 2, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge or the Greek word gnosis is used 5 times in this passage alone, verses 2, verses 3, verses 5, 6 and 8. Again in chapter 2 verse 20 and he ends the letter chapter 3:18 talking about knowledge. But it's not just knowledge, head knowledge, It's the right knowledge, the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's critical for Peter's audience then. It's critical for us today that we have the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So critical that Peter starts his letter talking about this knowledge, and he ends his letter talking about this knowledge. Chapter 3, verse 18, he says he wants them to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he talks at the beginning and at the end about this knowledge. What they call a sandwich structure, an inclusio. When you want to emphasize something, you, you talk about it at the beginning, you talk about it at the end as a reminder. For all those of you who have told and talked to your teenagers, your kids, about driving. You emphasize safety at the beginning before they go out that night. You might remind them that they need to get gas. You remind them where they can and can't go. And then you close that little speech by reminding them again, be safe. You start with safety, you end with safety. You want them to recognize they better be safe as they drive. That's an important message. Peter wants them at the beginning and at the end to know the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we know Christ intimately? By reading his word, through prayer, and when we are given the Holy Spirit. Which is why Jesus told his disciples In the chapter just after the one that Pastor Bob read, John 16, Jesus told his disciples that he had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, he will come. I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit's divine power and presence then grants, in Peter's word in in verse 3, the Holy Spirit grants us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. When we know Christ, we have the Holy Spirit And when we have the Holy Spirit, he is our helper who serves as our conscience to convict us of sin. It's through the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit that we can live lives, in Peter's words, to his glory and excellence. So going back to that car illustration, gasoline for our car unleashes the power to go forward. It gives you the potential to to drive and go places. Without gasoline, you can hit that gas pedal all you want, but you're not going anywhere. Likewise, the Holy Spirit unleashes the power, the potential to drive our lives so to live for Christ. Without the Holy Spirit in our lives, we're just dead men and women walking without any gas in our tank. And so by the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we can... As verse 4 says, we can become partakers of the divine nature. Now some in our, our culture today, especially those who are of the, the pagan or new age beliefs, believe that one can become God or become a part of God. But in Christianity, we become like God. Paul says in Romans eight twenty nine that we are conformed to the image of his Son. Peter said in his first letter in 1.14 that we are to be obedient children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. So for us to become partakers of the divine nature means we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And we only become partakers of that divine nature through the Holy Spirit's power and his promises. What are those promises? Pastor Bob mentioned some in, in John 15. Promises include God's unmerited favor through his son Jesus Christ. God's promises include the outpouring of his spirit, the gift of union with Christ, the promises are that the Helper will help us, that the Comforter will comfort us, that the Teacher will instruct us. The promises that we are made in God's image, that we can grow in Christ's likeness with the peace of knowing that we will have everlasting life with Him for eternity. The promises are what Jesus said in John 15 that Pastor Bob read, Abide in me, and I in you, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. A promise that if we abide in Christ, we will be able to do much. God's grace, through the Holy Spirit's power, through the Holy Spirit's promises, results in our partaking of God's divine nature, verses 1 through 4. So God's why is that we know and we share in his divine nature. And secondly, let's let's stir each other up to see the fuel of God's grace that results in godly character, verses 5 through 15. Peter now calls us, in verse 5, since we've escaped from the corruption that is in the world, Peter calls us to live godly lives. And what follows, if you look at the text in verses 5 through 8, are godly qualities that come in a straightforward way. They catalog biblical virtues. Verses 5 through 8. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. In other words, Peter wants us to not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. If we say we are transformed, if we say we're united with Christ, made in his image, being transformed into his likeness, then we should live like it. And so in this list, we see the importance of knowledge again. And how knowledge or orthodoxy can lead to godliness or orthopraxy. But as you know, godliness shouldn't be lorded over others. We shouldn't be smug, self-righteous. Holier than thou, but rather it should lead to brotherly affection. It should re- lead to love. And when we love, when we live out these biblical virtues, as verse eight states, we will be kept from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't, know, I don't know about you, but when I read verse 9 the first time through, I was saddened, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. When I first read this, I immediately thought of a friend. I'd just seen this friend's post on social media This friend was bragging about how they had deconstructed their faith, that they had deconverted. Maybe you've heard of a family member or friend, or certainly there's been plenty of well-known evangelicals who have deconstructed their faith. They've walked away from Christ, from Christianity, and instead embraced progressive views on all sorts of issues. They've torn down the walls of their their Christian worldview, of their biblical faith, and built new walls, new structures in their lives. They've rewritten who Jesus is. They've reimagined Christ to be the Christ that they're comfortable with, according to their secular worldview. And they do this not using Scripture as their basis, but their secular worldview. Worldview, their ideologies, the various alphabet movements, the anti-ism campaigns that are out there. It's sad because they have bought the false teaching, the false teachers. They've thrown out the Bible saying it's outdated. It's culturally irrelevant. They've replaced their Christian worldview with the latest progressive post-Christian ideologies. And what does Peter say about them? That they're blind. False teachers and false teaching are everywhere, not just in Peter's day. You go on social media and they are replete with all kinds of garbage. They want to pull you from your biblical faith, your Christian worldview. They want to pull you to the dark side. Michael Kruger, the president of Reformed Theological Seminary, said that deconversion stories are designed not to reach non-Christians, but to reach Christians. And their purpose is to convince Christians that their outdated, naive beliefs are no longer worthy of their assent. Whether done privately or publicly, sharing deconversion stories is when a person simply gives their testimony of how they once thought like you did, but now they've seen the light. Deconversion, deconstruction stories are all over the internet, false teaching, all over. If Peter were here with us today, he would point back to this passage. He would scream out, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling. Peter would take this list of biblical virtues in verses 5 through 7. He would remind us that these qualities that he references in verses 10, verses 12, verses 15, these qualities are meant to help his readers, help you, help me in our lives today to live a Holy Spirit-empowered and godly life. So God's why, Peter's why, for this passage is that we know and share in God's divine nature and in his holy character. You know well, I don't have to remind you of all the different worldviews that are trying to grasp your attention these days. They're filled with false teaching. They're filled with false teachers. And so the Bible's message remains just as true today as it did 2,000 years ago when Peter wrote. Peter knew his time was running out. He knew he didn't have much life left to live. He said he was putting off my body will be soon. I've learned in my five years as a hospice chaplain and in one short week at RMH as a staff chapel there, that life is fragile. Life can end without a moment's notice. And so now, more than ever, we must stay rooted in the gospel. Stay rooted in God's word. We must be, as Peter said, established in the truth established in the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, that he lived a perfect life, that he died an atoning and sacrificial death, that he was raised to life on the third day, that he ascended into heaven, that he's seated at the right hand of God, that he will come back to judge. We must heed Peter's reminders today. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. May the, remainder, the reminders of God's grace through the Holy Spirit's power and promises result in your partaking of, the, of the God's divine nature. Today, let's stir each other up to utilize the fuel of God's grace the Holy Spirit, that results in godly character and godly lifestyles. May we recognize the importance of God's why, of Peter's why, to know and live in God's divine nature with godly character so that we can avoid the false teaching and instead share the gospel with this desperate world. Let's pray.